pressure to do that. If you're um, a visitor with us today and you haven't come prepared for that, just let the baskets pass you by. Um, but let me just go through a few announcements for us as we uh, as we just give on to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> the first one is, uh, I'd really love to encourage you, we'll not show the video this morning, but I would like to encourage you just to, uh, about our Ignite course, which is starting again on the Monday the 10th of September. It's a, a course that we run just to help people discover more of their spiritual destiny. <clears throat> We've had great reports of people just being uh, transformed and um, encountering the love of God in fresh ways through Ignite. And uh, it is a great opportunity, something for you to be involved in, you know, over and above a Sunday, if you would like uh, just uh, to be uh, more intentional about your own discipleship and growth in the Lord. And so come and speak to me if you'd like to do Ignite. Numbers are pushing up, which is great. And uh, we're looking forward to another year of that. Uh, Importantly, just uh, the clock that there's no corporate prayer this week. So, um, and we're going to kick that off in a regular rhythm Wednesday week. I think it's the 5th of September. So um, no, no corporate prayer this particular Wednesday night. Um, we'd love, love we'll, we'll talk more about it next week, but we'd love to take the opportunity in a couple of weeks' times. It's the 14th or 15th of September. 14th, I think, of September. We have a country comes to town coming to Portadown. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> thousands of people in, with check shirts and boots will come to, um, will come to Portadown for Country Comes to Town. And we, we would love to just uh, take advantage of that by blessing the town. It's a great opportunity just to, to get in and amongst people who have uh, made their way to, to the town. And so we just love to encourage you. We're going to do some um, uh, sort of servant evangelism on the streets. We're also going to do some healing on the streets and make that available and just be a witness wherever we can in the town. So if you could keep that date, we'll probably do some stuff for the majority of the morning and maybe a little bit into the afternoon. And even if you can only come for a bit of it, we'd love you to come along. So it probably means just maybe coming in here around 9 o'clock that morning to beat the traffic and be around and um, and then head out together and be a blessing in the town. So we'll talk a little bit more about that week, but please just mark the date. If you can come in as a community, we could do that on the 15th, Saturday the 15th of September. And then one other really, really important date just before that actually is Sunday the 9th of September. We're going to have, so next Sunday morning, believe it or not, is the 2nd of September, right? Um, and we'll uh, finish off our Holy Spirit theme and also look a little bit ahead to the to the autumn. Then the 9th of September, the week after that, two weeks today, we're going to um, do some vision stuff, some stuff that the Lord has been putting on our hearts. We're going to share a vision around where we feel God's leading us into the autumn, and uh, as we've been praying as a leadership team, just where we, yeah, just what we sense God's putting on our hearts. So we're we're excited about that morning. Then that evening, we're even more excited about that evening, 6 p.m. on Sunday, the 9th of September. We've hired out um, Burnlow Leisure Centre. The hall in there is probably the biggest one that we can find in the Craigavon area. And uh, we're all going to come together. The church is in Lurgan, church is in Portadown, uh, church here in Portadown, the church in Lurgan, Cara and Shalom, different churches as part of the family of churches that God has been um, just birthing uh, in and through us over the last number of years. We're going to hire out uh, that leisure center and have a celebration of worship and prayer and praise unto the Lord. There we go. Celebrate Craigavon. And uh, we'd love you to just mark that date. We just feel that's really, really significant as we come together into the middle of the town and worship together. Is that okay? I think that is all the announcements. I want to do something before we pray. 
uh, and go into the preach. Go on ahead, Rachel. Um, I just thought it would be great to hear um, uh, a couple of minutes from Rachel Buchanan here. She um, was part of the Expression team, so you might have saw some of them, those of you from Portadown who are, were in and around Portadown this week. In Lurgan, they had Glow, which is lots of young people on the streets kind of making Jesus known. Um, some of the guys, Johnny here and the guys from the, the churches in Craigavon as well, were involved and saw lots of wonderful things happen. So I thought I'd just ask Rachel, tell us a little bit what was going on in Portadown the last week with Expression. Um, okay, so um, throughout the past week, um, there's just been people from all different churches right across Portadown, and we've just been trying to um, show people God's love in like practical ways. So there's been teams in the town centre, um, in Brownstown, Corcoran, Kilkemain and Gravaki. And um, throughout the week, we've been doing uh, kids' clubs and barbecues, and um, the cafe was opening here a few days during the week. Um, there was like sports days. There was, what are you saying? Oh, yeah, we visited like car homes and like um, we're just singing and stuff with the people there on Tribe SM. And um, yeah, just loads of different stuff like that. So uh, t- tell us, Rachel, just uh, what you specifically maybe were doing and, um, and what your highlights were. Okay, um, so I was doing the kids club in Brontestown mainly, so just in Millington Primary School, and um, it runs like throughout the year as well, so I've been involved with that for a few years, so um, yeah, like this week I was just really encouraged um, by like some of the kids who have came up through kids club are now actually doing expression and leading themselves, so um, there was three girls in particular, like um, said this week that they wanted to give their testimonies with the kids, and um, yeah, it was just real encouraging, like seeing how some of the wee things that we had done throughout the years had actually um, meant so much to them and had led to them coming to know Jesus themselves, and um, yeah, just seeing them stepping up and stepping out and leading uh, was real encouraging. And um, we also had a few ki- two kids um, give their lives to Jesus this week, which was really amazing. And, um, yeah, one other of my favourite stories is this wee boy. And um, it was just yesterday we were driving about and um, saw this wee group of kids and just got out of the car to chat to them a bit. And um, four of them had been to kids' club, like, throughout the year and during this week. And one of their friends... Um, hadn't and like didn't know what kids club was or anything so I kind of started to explain it to him and was like oh well it's in Millington primary school every Friday and kind of started like we do games and crafts and stuff like this and um, this wee boy kind of interrupted me and was like it's actually really all about God and I was just like wow like he's got it like um and then he kind of said, like, come on, we'll go tell you all about it. And, like, they went to tell their friend about God and about Kids Club. And, um, yeah, they were just so excited to do it, which was so, so nice to see as well. And we honour Rachel and all the expression guys. Well done. Rachel, thank you. It's amazing, you know, we should um, probably get a little bit more excited than we did just there when we heard the two people and two kids give their lives to Jesus, yeah? We should, um, we should uh, sort of, 
it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that you should probably get a little bit more undignified about in church, you know, clap and cheer, run around and dance, jump up and down if you really want to, because nobody would stop you doing that, because right now in heaven, they're not the kind of, you know, angels aren't sitting with their arms folded going, mm, there, there's another one in, thank you God. You know, they're kind of doing cartwheels, you know, and swinging from the chandeliers if there is any of those in heaven. So um, let, let's um, allow our hearts to be struck Right by the power of salvation, which comes into the lives. Johnny told me that with some of the kids in Kurgavan, seven kids give their lives to Jesus this week. Right, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, it's um, it's eternity's secure. You know, it's people never ever going to be not with God. <laughs> it's people not having to go through the you know go through being separated from God forever. You know, it's little lives that come into the kingdom of God, and so I want to bless the work of expression and glow and all of those kind of things because we see the seeds of the gospel being sown into young little hearts and um, taking root and finding life. Amen? Good, good. So we've been on this theme, if you're, if you're a visitor with us, I just want to share a little bit. Uh, we're kind of drawing a, a theme over the summer to um, its conclusion uh, on the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we, I don't know if you're a visitor with us, I'll try and just bring you up to speed really quickly on what we've been looking at. But sometimes we're not so sure about who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit is. or you know, We kind of understand a little bit about God the Father. You know, we recognize Jesus because we can read about him in the Bible and he was human like us in that regard. Um, but the Holy Spirit seems a little bit more mysterious and vague to us in many ways. And so we've been doing a whole series on that. And if you'd like to listen a bit more, you can listen to some of the SoundCloud kind of podcasts and stuff. But what we've come to realize is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is presence and the Holy Spirit is power, right? The Holy Spirit is personality of God. I, I think and theologian, theologians believe it, you know, that the, 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 the Holy Spirit is almost the personality that represents the love of the Father and the Son, right? They're so, the, love, the, the, the love of the Father has for the Son, the love the Son has for the Father is so deep and so profound and so beyond our imagination that it's almost a personality in itself, which is the Spirit of the living God. And that Spirit comes and lives in us. And Jesus was incredibly excited about the fact that the Holy Spirit was going to come after he left because the Holy Spirit would fill each and every person that opened up their heart to Jesus. And they would be filled with the presence of the living Christ, through the Spirit of God, and that we could all become like Him and be transformed into His image. And so we've been coming, we've been coming to realize that the Holy Spirit is um, uh, what Jesus looked like. With uh, Jesus was the face of the Spirit, if you like. And the Spirit wants to work in each of us in a really deep way that changes us from the inside out. And that life in the Spirit is therefore true sonship. It's not a matter of just keeping rules and regulations. It's actually walking in a living and dynamic relationship with God, where God's presence itself is dwelling within us, helping us to to partake in the very nature of God, the divine nature. We get to partake in the nature of God himself and walk into increasing Christ-likeness. So walking and being a Christian isn't first and foremost about just controlling our sinful acts. Being a Christian is being changed at the very source of who you are. It's having a change. That's why, you know, I keep saying it, but that's why we don't lose the term born again, despite all the negative press that the label born again gets in the world today. The theological kind of reality of what happens to us 
And the actual reality of what happens to us is that we've been born again. Something new happens in us. A new creature in the likeness of Christ has been formed within us. So Jesus didn't come, you see, and said, right, here's all the facts. Believe that, and you can be a Christian. Here's all the truth. Believe that, and you can be a Christian. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I am the truth. Follow me. Right? And that's a different thing. That's a different thing by just thinking, right, I just have to believe a load of things here, and then I'm in. No, no. Jesus said, I am the truth. The truth is a person, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, in the life. And it's following him and walking in his ways, which will ultimately mean giving up your own life. That you will find true life. Life in all its fullness. And that's what we've been trying to discover. How to maintain this uh, walking in the spirit. Not dead religion. Not playing church. But actually walking in a living dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Through the spirit. And how do we stay in that? How do we walk in step with that? How do we maintain that? And so we've been putting lots of emphasis on how we need to orientate our lives in certain ways, make changes in our lives so that we can maintain unity with the Father, put certain practices in our life to allow us to flow out of sonship and we can have life in God every single day. And so when we have, so then what the Bible does is people were experiencing that. People were in the early church and today were experiencing the power of the Spirit and he comes and we looked at this last week. He comes and brings to us the overwhelming power of God, the overwhelming love of God. He brings that to us. That's why even in worship this morning, we sense something beyond us that wants to come upon us and rest on us and reveal to us the love of God. And that can happen, and sometimes that happens in really powerful ways. We get an encounter of the Spirit of God where His love floods into our hearts and lives. And we're like changed. We, we encounter a spirit. But the Bible also helps us to really ground that encounter in an understanding of what it should look like in every day. So what does it look like on a Monday morning? Or like if you wake up in the morning, morning and it's like this. And it's all feels a bit gloomy and all of that. How do you actually look like Jesus? How does the epiphany or the encounter that you had, what does it look like? It's interesting for those of us who maybe understand the Bible a little bit more. In Corinthians, when Paul talked about the gifts of the Spirit and the way the Spirit comes, he puts that great chapter that we read at weddings and all of that about love, 1 Corinthians 13. He puts that in the middle of stuff about the encounters of the Spirit. And he puts it in there not to give us warm, fuzzy feelings about love. He puts it in there to remind us and almost gently to rebuke the church to say you can have all the gifts and charisma in the world but if you don't have character and maturity then you've nothing then the gifts and charisma are just like some kind of adrenaline thing that gets you all kind of worked up but it's not necessarily the spirit because if it is the spirit it will translate into something that looks like Jesus and the things that we were told that it looks like are the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so what we've been trying to do is understand what the fruit of the Spirit should actually look like in our lives, right? Love looks like something. It looks like something. The love of Jesus looks like something. And so quick recap on the ones that we did look at, and then we're going to do the last few today. Love. Love is the first one. 
And love, we would say, is really the fruit of the Spirit, is the foundation to all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. Love stands at the center of the Christian faith. And as I've been trying to have some fun over the last few weeks and months as we've done this, to help us realize that love is not Love Island. Yeah? Right? It's not love. It's not even close to love. It doesn't even, like, I know you might like, like it to kind of some mind-numbing TV, right? But please do not be hoodwinked. That is not love, right? They shouldn't call it Love Island. They should call it, like, Trash Island. Or, you know, I could think of loads of other things, right? But it's not anywhere near love, you know? Love that the Bible talks about is agape love. Right, uh, so uh, you know, some of you will know this, but maybe if you don't, it's really helpful to know this actually, because when we in, the Eng- in English have only the word love, in the Bible have three or four different words for love, right? And the one that is the epitome of Christ-like love is the Greek term agape or agape, agape love, and that's the love that will lay down your life for the other. That is self-sacrificial love. That is love. That of a covenant nature that will commit itself no matter what and ultimately lay down its life for the other. And this is the kind of love that sets the foundation for all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. It's other-orientated love. I like this uh, quote by Kennison. The other eight virtues or dispositions that follow in Paul's list may be best understood as amplifying and further specifying what is entailed by this way of love. So the next eight that we're going to look at, and we're just going to skim skim them here, the first few anyway, they're all uh, amplified uh, characteristics of agape love. And they specify, if you like, what that love really looks like. You know, we use this uh, picture, it's quite helpful, you know, of light hitting a prism. Love is like that ultimate light and the different expressions of that light through the prism are the colors of the rainbow and they help us understand the flavors of the attributes of agape love which are the other eight virtues that we read about. And So love will be seen or should be seen, that's what life in the spirit is marked by essentially. It's, it's agape love, right? If you, if you, if you don't love, if, you, if you're not um, changed and transformed by the self-sacrificial love of God that hasn't changed and transformed you and started to overflow out of your life, then it's, it's, it's not life in the Spirit, no matter how much you dress it up with religious terms and Bible verses and all of that. If it doesn't actually act in that way, it's not life in the spirit I don't think because life in the spirit the fruit of the spirit is ultimately love and some of the attributes then of that are or joy 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 is a fruit of the spirit I said a couple of weeks ago isn't it brilliant that intensity isn't a fruit of the spirit isn't it brilliant that piety isn't a fruit of the spirit isn't it isn't it brilliant that seriousness isn't a fruit of the spirit you know boredom isn't a fruit of the spirit Joy! The joy of the Lord is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, some of the old church fathers talked about it as hilarity. There should be laughter, right? There should be joy that expands our hearts, that enlarges our heart, because it's not our joy. It's Jesus' joy, right? And it doesn't come through just the absence of problems. Joy comes through the presence of Jesus, so joy is not about just us making sure that all of our problems have gone away, even though it's nice when we don't have problems. But joy is not all ultimately the absence of something. Joy is the presence of something. And it's the presence 
of Jesus. An intoxication of the Spirit. That's what it is. So intoxicating that it bubbles up into a life of fun and laughter and joy. And some Christians could do with looking at themselves in the mirror and reminding themselves that the joy of the Lord is their strength. It should light up our beings. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of superficial attention-seeking kind of like, oh, life's amazing, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the midst of all that goes on in life, we find a way to enjoy the presence of God and His joy becomes our, our, our strength and it expands us in His nature. Peace. Peace is not just peace of mind, as to talk about around this snack of the woods, right? It's not just, oh, give a peace of mind or whatever, right? It's a much deeper thing, right? It's a much, much deeper thing. It's, um, it's this word here, shalom. In the Bible, it's wholeness. That's the Hebrew word for it. Wholeness, harmony, or, or well-being. It's that sense that in the midst of all that's going on in life, all shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. Julian of Norwich said those words years and years ago. Or as the hymn writer said, it is is well with my soul. It's that sense of peace that in the midst of life, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. One day we're going to look in Jesus' face. And everything that has brought us deepest pain and anguish in life, it's going to melt. It's going to melt away. And that a measure of that experience and encounter can even happen now in our lives. And that when we find Jesus, we're going to feel whole. We're going to feel whole. There's a peace that comes into our hearts. A kind of wholeness and overflowing out of our lives. Then will come that peace. You see, when we've got that peace in our life, we don't find peace in another king or another tribe or another nationality. Or where our borders are or not. We don't find peace in those things. We find peace God. So we don't have to defend all those other things because his peace is enough. In fact, it's more than enough. It overflows. And so therefore the fruit of the Spirit in a follower of Jesus should be reconciliation. Should be bringing peace with men and women of all tribes and tongues and nations and backgrounds because that is God's desire that we would bring and be people of peace. There should be assurance about us, a peace in our hearts. I don't want to embarrass Maria, but she was telling me last week, you know, when she sensed the Lord encounter her a few weeks ago, that it was like a hole that just being, kept being filled. It's not for it. I just, just hasn't left me. It something just like kept being filled and filled and filled and filled. And that's what the peace of God does. It fills us, makes us whole. Makes us whole, and then when it makes us whole, then it overflows, and we become people of peace. Patience. Who wants to admit being brilliant at that? Thank you. Long suffering. Patience or long suffering is the next one. Um, the calmness that comes in us when we know God helps us to become more in control of our emotions because we've. Co- committed and submitted our lives to the lordship of jesus and so jesus our god throughout the old testament was the bible says slow to what anger yeah so it didn't mean he wasn't angry and so it doesn't mean you can't be angry but he was just slow to anger 
He had patience with us. Great, great patience with us. And so we have to learn, and part of knowing God, because these are all connected to relationship with God. I'll, 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 I'll emphasize that point at the end again. You can only have these if you're connected to the source. These are not just kind of willpower, behavior modification kind of stuff as we've talked about. These are actual things that get produced in us as we stay in relationship with Jesus. And so we become, or we should become, more patient people, long-suffering. Somebody once uh, put it like, uh, yes, that's the Greek word, I'm not even going to attempt to say it, conveys the idea of having an infinite capacity to be injured without paying back. (laughs) It's not easy. It's not easy and it's challenging, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so we need to remind ourselves of that. And remember, you know, if you're not emotionally secure, if you're always impatient, no matter how many Bible verses you can quote, you're not spiritually mature. Right? If you're emotionally immature with these things, then you're spiritually immature. And like me, we've all got work to do probably on that. The next one, kindness. I think we finished in kindness. Kindness is like a manifestation of agape love. As you'll see as we go through these, they all kind of blend together because they all come from that one light, love. But kindness, if it's distinct in any way, if you want to put it like that, it, it's like a tangible manifestation of agape love. Uh, it, uh, it, particularly when it comes to helping the needy. And um, God always, what I would say is God always front ends things with kindness. Yeah. He, he doesn't, something I heard J. John say once that, you know, J. John said once, there's two, there's two reasons why people aren't Christians. One is because they've never met a Christian. Two is because they have met a Christian. <laughs> <It's>, <clears throat> right, and it's, it's funny, but it's not really funny in the sense of sometimes you've been given the label of being a bit mean as the church, and that's such a sad, sad thing and grieves the heart of God because we are supposed to be the kindest people on the earth. Because God is kind. And so we front end things with the kindness of God because he is kind. And his kindness, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 tells us, leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Yeah. So the last few that we're going to finish off here, uh, goodness, or sometimes, um, yeah, Sometimes they use different words in different translations, but I'm just going to go with goodness for this one. Now, goodness is similar to kindness, but I think it's important for us to think about goodness because different people talk about being good in different ways these days. Good is kind of up for grabs. Some people think it was good. Like some, some sort of, you know, highly respectable kind of people think it was a good thing that uh, the abortion referendum happened. Some people think it wasn't a good thing. Some people think it was um, it's a euthanasia is a good thing. It's a decent thing to do. Other people think it isn't a good thing to do. Some people think civil marriage is a good thing. Other people think it isn't a good thing. It's good's kind of up for grabs, isn't it, in the world in which we live? So, is it good or is it not good? What is what is the good thing to do? And how do we understand what goodness really is? And I'm not really here to get into a debate about those things this morning, but what I am concerned about is what is really good. Because here's the thing, my kids are growing up in this world, and uh, there's all sorts of things that are being said that are good that I'm not necessarily so sure are that good. But they're under pressure to say they're good, and if they don't, they're going to be in the margins. So how are they going to deal with that? So what is good? 
and his goodness resident in our own beings or how. And I think we need a reminder that God alone is unequivocally good. He alone is the 100% purest good being that there is in the world. He is the source of all goodness. It all flows from him. The refrain throughout the Old Testament was, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God is a good, good God. Everything God does is good. Everything he creates is good. His essence in itself is goodness. It's bound up in his very nature. Anything that comes from God is ultimately excellent and good. There's no guile in God. There's nothing twisted in God. There's no um, other agenda. There's no murky motives in God. God is good. He is shot through with the purest light. Dallas Willard says, uh, Dallas Willard says this, God is an interlocking community of magnificent persons, completely self-sufficing, sufficing, sorry, and with no meaningful limits on goodness and power. No meaningful limits on his goodness. And the good thing is, for us, the ones he created in his image, because God is good, he likes to give good things. <laughs> he gives good gifts. The Bible tells us he's a father who gives good gifts. And we saw glimpses of God's goodness throughout the Bible. He was telling and showing people how to be good like him when he gave them the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not all of those things. But Jesus came and filled that goodness up and showed us what real goodness looked like. He is the source of of goodness. And I've come to realize that as good as I think I am, there isn't actually goodness resident in my fallen human nature. The Apostle Paul said this. Look what he said. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. The thing about it is, we all are really, really good at judging everybody that's not good, but all the stuff that we watch and consume is usually connected to a source that isn't good. And then we get surprised when people do bad things. Like, you know, Miami Vice, right? All back in those years ago, Miami Vice, right? Do you remember that? Right? Why would it never be called Miami Virtue? Do you know what I mean? There's something in us that's instinctively drawn to Miami Vice, the fact that it's kind of a vice, or, or we see these headlines for movies, you know, and it's not like necessarily they're really, really bad, but there's something in us that's drawn to what's not good. We kind of like it, because in our sinful nature, there's something about us that kind of likes it, and so good gets vague, and good gets up for, is up for grabs, and then the problem is when people do really not good things, really bad things, then we get surprised, but we shouldn't really be. Because we're not necessarily always obsessed with good, which is why being connected to God, the source of all goodness, is really, really important if we want to see goodness in our lives, produced in our character. And so the goodness that we're talking about is not even good acts, because I even do good things. But the thing is, when you scratch below the surface of why I do some good things, often my motives are a bit murky. I do good things because I all want you to think I'm good. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm good. That just means I'm a show-off or I'm insecure or I just need you to like me so I can feel a sense of belonging. But that's not really necessarily good. And the more and the longer I live, the the more I realize for all my own goodness, underneath the surface, it's not really that good. In fact, it's a bit polluted. And so I need relationship with the God who alone is good because he can produce 
goodness in me. Pure, honest, genuine goodness. And he can help me discern what good is. And so what I just told you there about the world and the culture around us, this is what Paul said to the church. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His what? Good. His good will. So I need to be connected to God to know what is good in a world where good is up for grabs. And then I will produce the fruit of the goodness of God in my life. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. I want to try and be more like Jesus, reflect his goodness, not my own, his character in my life. And the Bible says if we do that, it will shine before others. Look, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good, your good deeds, the good deeds of God in our lives. And so life in the spirit should look like goodness. The next one faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of those overarching themes in the Bible. You can't read the Bible and and not see something about the dependability, the fidelity, the firmness, and the constancy of God. He is not just just a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-keeping God. I love this little verse. When we are faithless he remains faithful god cannot deny his character he cannot go back on who he is he's not fickle like us in that way he's, god is, is faithful and so the essence of faithfulness is trust isn't it if we put our faith in something we're we're, we're trusting in something and so i think when it comes to what it means to live a life in the spirit it should look like if we are depending on the trustworthiness of god then we emulate that trustworthiness. Which means life in the spirit for us is we should look like those people. People should find us faithful, steadfast, and true. When the storms of life come, they should see us a bit like a lighthouse being battered by wind and waves, grieving like everybody else does, but they should come to see that the lighthouse is fixed on a rock. And so that lighthouse will stay standing, even though at times it feels like it's going to crumble because the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. We stay and we stand and we keep standing. And we will be buckled by life, of course, and we will grieve and we will have nights that we don't think we're going to get through. But ultimately, we will put our hope and our trust in a God who is faithful, who is eternal, and whose hope is eternal, and we remain faithful. And so people, I think, should see that faithfulness in their lives through stuff in life. But I think they should also see it. We should be um, committed. We should be committed people. We shouldn't be... um, I don't think Christians should give up easily. I don't think we, we stick by people. We're committed to people. We're not caught up by the next whimsical idea. And when stuff is happening out in the world and recession is coming and and then other exciting things are coming, we're just like, we're slightly cynical of that stuff because our trust isn't in that, it's in God. We're, We're trustworthy and people should find us trustworthy. That should be the fruit of the Spirit. I should become somebody that people would want to confide in because I'm trustworthy. In your workplace, wherever you are, if you're living a life in the Spirit, it should look like trustworthiness, like faithfulness, commitment, fidelity, loyalty, all of those kind of things. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Last two quickly. Gentleness or meekness. What does that mean? Everyone still with me, yeah? Good, good. Gentleness or meekness, right? Uh, 
they, that, that's, this is the eighth attribute of the fruit of the Spirit. And it points to our ability to find our strength in something that's not our own pride or power. And so in this way, I think oh, you could argue this one's maybe the one that's most countercultural. For in the world that we live in today, the opposite is true. It's pride, arrogance, haughtiness, pushing ourselves to the front is how the world in which we operate works. You maybe want to think about your workplace and think how do people get power? It's usually by pushing themselves forward. It's usually by pride, our own strength, our independent power plays. And um, when we do that, we are, we're denying the power of God in our life and choosing our own independent way of getting it. And the Bible calls, talks about being stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is a, like a, indicates a rebellious and, and stubborn attitude. But if you're stiff-necked, you, you won't bow. Because you just, I'll, I'll do it the way I want to do it. And God had to rebuke his people time after time after time because he was longing to be their father and to pour out the good things that he has for them. And they were like, nope, well, just do it our way. Thank you very much, God. Who's ever seen that in your own house? Yeah, just a stiff-necked, yeah? And who's ever seen that in your own life? <laughs> we just And God wants us to be people who are make who bow to his lordship in our lives. Because when we don't, we end up quenching the spirit in our life. We don't see the fruit of the spirit because we quench the spirit. Because when we do that, it's like the spirit has no place to work. Because our hearts aren't submitted. We don't often recognize it, but we just love to be in control of our lives. We just love to be in control. And so we push ourselves forward. And, I, you know, and the thing about this, you sit in church all the time. <laughs> You see it in church all the time, let alone the world. People with their own little power plays, how they can attract more attention for themselves in order to get to that level of profile that they need for them to feel a sense of worth. And the problem is, and I say all of these things because of first-hand experience of it in my own life, our hidden fears, our insecurities the places that we've been hurt in life before, produce like a defense mechanism that says, I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me. And I'll find a way to get myself into a place of security and love. And we fight our ways into something. And the problem is, it just presents itself as an inability to be vulnerable and to bring who we really are into the light and allow God to love that and to change that. And so meekness, on the other hand, is actually just about handing over control. It's so underrated in our society today, meekness. It's such a beautiful, beautiful virtue. And it comes, because it's so countercultural, it comes from being fully surrendered. It's like a horse being broken in, right? Like the master knows how strong that horse is. But he knows that he needs to channel that strength in the right ways. And so it has to go through a process of being broken in so that the horse, that wild, wild, strong horse, can have its strength harnessed and channeled in the ways that the master can use it best. And, uh, you know, we all think we're make <laughs> until we end up in a conversation with somebody or we feel that we've been pushed back 
or we feel we've been left out or all of those things. And, and, and the hardest thing to do sometimes is to leave it in the hands of God and to allow him to raise us up in due context. And so we have to learn how to be people of, of meekness. It's a courageous attitude, meekness. Make is not weak, as I say. Make is strength rightly harnessed and channeled. And so that in our lives then looks like that we, we actually aren't like, like I thought meekness was just like, you know, this kind of little person that sat in the corner was just, you know, you know, never never really did anything or something. Just like it was almost irrelevant. But meekness is people fight for things who are make they fight for the poor, they fight for the needy, but they just know that God is in in control. They, they fight for a reversal of the way things are because they see that other people and the way the world works is by self-promotion and they know that that's not the way God wants to win the world. And so they fight against that by showing in other-orientated agape love a different way. Because ultimately they realize that love is not wishy-washy. It's the love of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the love of God that is foolishness to the world. It's the love of God, the most self-sacrificial act in history, Jesus dying on a cross, is the most powerful act in history. That's why it's foolishness to the world. Because they can't get their head around how somebody hanging on a cross could actually turn and flip the world upside down. But that's exactly what happened. Because Jesus' love was so strong that the Father could vindicate that love, raise it from the dead, and defeat all the powers of darkness. And so you've got to believe that when you love, and when you love when it hurts, it's the most powerful force in the world. And this is what meekness is all about. And so meek people, you know those people that you sit in a meeting with, and they don't say that much, they keep their mouths kind of closed, and then sometimes they open their mouth and they speak, and you realize, oh my goodness, what he just said there, what she just said, just carried so much weight. Because they don't have to push themselves forward. They're not trying to gain a hearing for themselves. They just trust that God is in control. And so when they speak, it comes out of a place of intimacy and depth with God. And that's the kind of people I think God is calling us to be. Secure in the Father's love. And so finally, to finish, self-control. Self-control... <clears throat> Most religions in the world recognize some form of self-control or some form of self-mastery. Any religion in the world talks about trying to overcome the bits of us that are the the base parts of us. Most of people recognize that people, most religions recognize that people become enslaved to passions and they must overcome them in order to become spiritual and Greeks believed this kind of stuff over 2,000 years ago when Jesus was around. and Different religions in the world all try to overcome and work towards how to master the self so that you can get the best out of yourself. It's not unlike the fact in modern days when we go into the airport bookshop and everybody's looking to sell you a book, How to Have a Better Life or Seven Steps to Whatever, right? Because we all want to improve ourselves. That's the kind of narrative that's out there in the world. But the Bible... <clears throat> has some overlap with that, but not loads, because the Bible finds a solution in a different place. The Bible does talk about worldly passions, lust of the flesh, the things in us that kind of get out of control. What's different about how the Bible approaches these things and how we as Christians should is, is how we master these things in ourselves, how we overcome them. And the power to master these worldly passions, the power to master this instinct not to do good, comes not from a list of rules or regulations and comes not from within ourselves. It comes from a person. 
It comes from Jesus. It comes from knowing the very power of Jesus that raised him from the dead, living in our beings, giving us the power not to sin. So before we come to Jesus, we sin because we don't know any better. When we come to Jesus, we actually don't have to sin. Now the reality is we're human beings and we will and the, John tells us that we have an advocate with the Father where we can confess our sins and, and receive forgiveness for that, which is amazing that that grace is unlimited and unending. But there is a power now resident in our beings if we've been fully born again by the Spirit of God that helps us to overcome who we are in ourselves to become the person that Jesus wants us to be. And it's when we open our hearts to the Spirit of Christ that it frees us from these old desires and it liberates us. Remember, it's not the controlling of acts. It's a change of source inside us. And I find it interesting in a world where everybody was talking about the self, that Paul puts self-control last. Because we have to be careful with this word self-control. In some ways, it's a little bit almost contradictory. Because while our self needs to be engaged, our wills, it's not ourselves that sorts it out. It's Jesus. And I've learned this over the years as I've tried to become more like Jesus. When I try to do it on my own, I just get incredibly disappointed with myself. Because I'm not very good at it on my own. But when Jesus comes with his source of love, unending forgiveness and power, I become the kind of person that he created me to be. The self no longer occupies the center stage, but rather only through the help of the Spirit are we able to control ourselves. We're learning and learning how to die. So self-control is more that more 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 than just you know that moderation in all things. That's helpful. But as Christians, we're not supposed to be moderate. We're supposed to be passionate. We're supposed to be on fire with the love of Jesus. Supposed to be radical. That's helpful advice, maybe. Just moderation in all things. But if moderation in all things sounds a bit bland to me. Yeah. We're supposed to be people transformed by the love of Jesus, whose will and whose emotions and whose desires are channeled in and through his love for his glory. And so as I finish, I just want to say, in order to keep step with the Spirit and walking into increasing likeness, Christ-likeness, it's, it's not about, here's seven steps to better living. It's learning how to abide in Jesus. Every single day, learning how to abide with Jesus. Because as we uh, realize from John 15, a branch doesn't actually do much Burrs, it burrs fruit by being connected to the vine. And so, as I finish, I just want to say, sometimes talking on the fruit of the Spirit can actually sound a wee bit dry and a wee bit wooden unless you've got a vision for who Jesus is. Because otherwise it just sounds like a list of things that you have to live up to. And I have found out in my life, so I hope it hasn't been like that. But I remember when I was younger listening to the Fruit of the Spirit, it just felt like a load of good characteristics that you would try to attain to. But then what happened was, over, over my life, then I seen Jesus. I saw something of his beauty and something of his glory. And I realized he was other than me. He was above and beyond. And he was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen. And more than that, he thinks I can be like him. And his love for me is so fierce and so strong and so powerful that he invites me to go on a journey to become like him because that was why I was born.
Jesus wants us to outshine the stars. Jesus wants us and will someday call us to rule the nations, to govern the world. That was our original word, to judge the world. Even angels, the Bible says, looks on at that kind of thing and wonders, how does he love them so much? But once you get a glimpse of Jesus and how glorious and how beautiful he is, you realize how less in comparison in your own strength you are to that. But yet that his grace and his love wants to change and transform that and put a power and a presence and a love in your life to help you become like him. Then that started to change everything. And all of a sudden then I wasn't like feeling, I have to do this to be a good boy. <laughs> but all of a sudden I started to realize I am being empowered by the invitation of Jesus to become like him and to reflect him in my own unique way and that is the call in every one of your lives whether you know God today or whether you don't and when Chris said that earlier this little phrase jumped into my head and I think it's for you if you feel you're far away from God you're closer than what you think if you feel you're far away from God you're closer than what you think because he's drawn to brokenness he's drawn to loneliness he's drawn to emptiness he's drawn to those kind of things that's where we find him the most that's where he likes to hang out that's where he likes to hover and all he's waiting for is the invitation in your heart to say lord i'm open come in and not perfect I haven't got it all sorted. I don't even know if I can do this, but Jesus, I give you my life. I give you all of me. I surrender my heart to you. And would you take me on a journey of becoming the person that you destined me to be, even from my mother's womb? That's the call of God on our lives. And when we follow in that, we will become more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. That's not like a nice little sentimental statement. That's actually the call on our lives, to reflect him. Love, joy, peace. Patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Yeah? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the sense of your presence with us this morning. Thank you for the reckless love of God. God, would you come now and... Take the words that have been said, the worship that we've had. Holy Spirit, would you let it soften our hearts and set us set us on a course towards you, God. Set us on a course towards becoming more like you. Change us from the inside out, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. It abounds towards us, Lord. Just give us a vision for Christ-likeness in all of our lives. Lord, if there's some of us here this morning that just... God, we just feel the loneliness of life. Holy Spirit, I pray that we just know that you're close. And that the love of the Father would start to be shed abroad in our hearts. Give us deciding grace to choose you, Jesus. To say a no to ourself and no to our sin. And yes to you. Better trust in you for now and for eternity, we pray. Lord, we thank you for little baby Amy. Thank you for this day, for her, for family and friends and this church family as we just agree together to love her and to provide a community here where she would thrive in our understanding of who you've called her to be. Let her know the plans and purposes of God for her life are audacious, God, or beyond what she could imagine. And Lord, help us as a church to help her find and discover them and walk in them 
in the fullness of life, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't be um, in a rush away. We'd love to pray for you if you'd like us to chat to you or pray for you about anything. We'll be knocking around here. Please just come and introduce yourselves. There's tea and coffee at the back. Make uh, yourself.